and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. We've got a great show for you. We're going to talk a little about fixing micronutrient issues on your farm. If you've got any questions for us or if there's anything you'd like to talk about that's going on in your operation, we'd love to visit with you. Our phone number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. All right, so before we get into the micronutrient thing, again, everybody's talking about coronavirus, COVID-19. Number one thing, I guess, that we want to tell you, other than obviously be safe and try to follow the CDC guidelines, is we'd really encourage you pick up your farm inputs now so you are in good shape come spring. I've been talking to a lot of agronomists around the country, just, you know, not super worried but concerned that, well, what happens if some people at my store test positive, then we're going to have to go into isolation for two weeks. And how about the farmers who need to pick product up? I'm going, yep, exactly. So there's not a supply issue in the United States with seed, with fertilizer, with crop protection products, with microbials. There's no supply issues that I know of. The only issue is if wherever you're doing business at, if they have to close down for a couple of weeks because of this thing, well, then you might not get the product you want when you want it. So we just encourage you, get your product now, at least the product that you're going to need for the next month. Get yourself prepared because once you've got everything on your farm, you're in pretty good shape. If you can just stay isolated, stay away from people, I mean, there's very little risk of you getting anything. And hopefully you can stay healthy all through the spring, get your crop in, and eventually we're going to get through this whole deal and we'll move on. All right, so talking about micronutrient issues. Darren and I look at soil tests every day, and if you listen to the show often, you hear us talk about soil tests here and recommendations. And Darren, how often is it when we get incomplete soil tests? I'd say about half the time. Yeah, quite often. Well, just yesterday, we had a couple of soil tests that came in, and one of them was asking about some different things. They didn't even have sulfur on the test. And yep, no sulfur, know, no copper. I mean, yeah, and are another one was uh, micronutrient questions, and they only had even tested one or two of the micros, and it's hard to get an idea because so often if, let's just say that we're way overloaded on manganese, well, that could lead to an issue with some of the other micros. There's a balance issue there, and we talk about Mulder's chart a lot about how some nutrients can help other nutrients be more available and they can hurt others, and that's why we really need to see a whole picture. Yeah, or I'll give you a firsthand example on our own farm where we started loading up phosphorus. Well, that was fine and helping yield, but then we reached a a point where we weren't getting yield gain. Well, the issue wasn't the phosphorus. The issue was what the phosphorus did to the zinc. And all of a sudden, we had the same level of zinc before as we did after. But now we created a zinc shortage because we didn't have our zinc in ratio. So you got to take a look at these micronutrients. They are tremendously important. And we're not saying they're more important than the macronutrient issues. Uh, Of course not. I mean, the first thing should always be drainage. The second thing should be, hey, let's focus on soil pH. And after that, let's take a look at your major nutrients, the NPK. Then let's be looking at calcium, magnesium, and sulfur. But, you know, we do need to take a look at the micronutrients. And specifically what we're talking about here are nutrients like boron, copper, manganese, zinc, iron, molybdenum, 
chloride, even cobalt. These nutrients are all needed by your plants, not at high levels, but they definitely need some. And I, I'll throw this out at you too. When you start going for bigger yields, then all of a sudden these get to be pounds per acre instead of tenths of pounds. So just for example, we have a lot of people now talking about, hey, my goal is 300 bushel corn, and that's great. We love that. But you start looking at it and you go, you know what? You need two and a half pounds of manganese. Two and a half pounds. It's not two and a half ounces or anything anymore. Two and a half pounds to raise that much crop. That's a lot. And if you say, you know, I've been fertilized with manganese in a long time. We used to spread manure or grandpa used to spread manure. When was the last time you put manganese out there? That could be a real limiting factor for your farm. Even zinc. A lot of people want to throw out a quart of zinc. And I'm not saying that's bad, but I'm just saying that's not going to cut it if you want 300 bushel corn. It takes almost a full pound of zinc and almost a full pound of boron for 300 bushel corn. So, as we continue to ratchet our yields up higher, you've got to start looking at more than N, P, and K if you want a healthy, nutritious crop, a crop that stands well out in the field without lodging or green snapping, a crop that has good test weight and good grain quality, and ultimately, too, high yields. All right, there's there's a lot of questions that are going on out there, and we're we're talking about some of these micronutrient issues today for your farm. If you say I I haven't gotten tests, so how do I really know? You know, there's some things you can still do right now. You can still pull soil test in the spring. You can get a complete analysis done, depending on which lab you send to, for often around twenty five or thirty dollars. It's not super expensive, and then. Pull some plant tissue analysis in those same exact spots where you pulled the soil test from and get a little comparison and see, you know what, I see that I'm a little short on something on my soil test, but let's see if my plant is actually finding it out there in the soil. And in some cases, yeah, you may see something that shows up not tremendously high in your soil test, but you're absolutely able to pull it into your plant. In other cases, you may have this false sense of security that, well, my soil test says I have plenty of zinc out there. But it's just not getting in my plant, and you'll see it with the plant tissue test. Do a little bit of testing on your farm. It doesn't cost that much money to do, and then you've got a great idea for your own farm. But yeah, when we talk about testing, what we really like to see, too, is if you can do grid soil testing and then match that up to your yield data points. We've been doing this the last couple of years on our farm, and it gives us a real good idea of what kind of target levels we should be looking for with each of these nutrients. So for example, in the last couple of years, as our zinc levels went up, we actually weren't gaining any yield unless we had the appropriate phosphorus out there. With our boron levels, we found that higher boron levels meant higher yield. With copper, for the most part, it was higher yields. Here again, it tied together with the phosphorus. But you know, there are other nutrients where we said, you know, having more like manganese, did it really make any difference for yield? We had a whole bunch of data points. We said, you know, on our farm, it looks like we're at a pretty good level. So anyway, we'll talk all throughout the show about micronutrients. Stay tuned. This is Ag PhD Radio. Worried about glyphosate-resistant weeds and grasses in your corn? 
Unleash the power of new Impact-Z herbicide and get the early post-application advantage you've been waiting for. Save $3 per acre when you combine Impact-Z with a qualifying insecticide purchase. Go to buy2save3.com for details. Buy2Save3 is a service mark and Impact-Z is a trademark owned by Amvac Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact-Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Challenging field conditions often make harvest difficult. Can your corn head handle it? The GTS X10 corn head from Agra US is a rugged, cost-effective alternative to heavier, more traditional heads. Constructed of durable yet lightweight aluminum, the X10 puts less strain on your combine without losing harvest effectiveness. And it is 40% lighter than traditional heads, reducing field compaction in those less than ideal conditions. For more information, give us a call at 8334-AGRA US. How do you know when to run your grain bin fans? There's an app for that. With the Steps GMS app, you can manually turn your fans on and off from your smartphone. You can also configure the Steps GMS app to automatically turn fans on when the humidity or temperature is ideal to keep your grain in top quality condition. Save yourself some time and take the guesswork out of managing your stored grain with the Steps GMS app. Contact us at stepsgms.com for more information. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio. We've been talking about micronutrient issues on the farm, and let's face it, we've got to get the nutrients that are in the soil into the plant. And there's a lot of things working together to make that happen in the soil with microbes and root hairs and just so many different things happening that that it's it seems like it's simple. Yep, I just need to apply more nutrients, but Honestly, when we've got some of these fields that haven't been planted now for a year or two, or we've had different cover crops out there that we aren't used to. I know Brian, Brian talks sometimes about uh, not using a cover crop blend and going with one species. Sometimes there's species that don't host mycorrhizal fungi, for example, and that can be a real issue. Uh, i got Joseph Rasco on with us right now with Valent. Uh, Joseph, thanks for joining us today. I really appreciate having you on. Oh, thank you for having me. Good afternoon. You know, when we're thinking about micronutrients and, and getting nutrients into the plant, I, I think this relationship between soil life and, and having a healthy soil and getting good nutrient uptake is something that gets taken for granted a little bit. Yes, that's correct. And, you know, micronutrients um, and their uptake could be significantly impacted by the, you know, the soil microbes. And, uh, I work with um, a company, Mycorrhizal Applications, and we do uh, quite a bit of work on um, on increasing or improving the uptake of nutrients, not just the macronutrients and micronutrients as well, uh, with the help, help of soil microbes. And uh, mycorrhiza have been um, promoted and, and discussed several times, you know, that it, ha- it really helps um, increasing the phosphorus uptake and other macronutrients. However, 
um, it's, I think it's not as well known um, in the in the public that that mycorrhizal fungi, in fact, uh, can help increasing the micronutrient uh, uptake of the plants as well. And uh, you know, this is this is very important in uh, in certain cases when the pH is not optimal for uh, for micronutrients, and uh, because there are different mechanisms that uh, these type of microorganisms employ. For example, mycorrhizae uh, produces enzymes that actually solubilizes uh, the insoluble nutrients, including micronutrients, in the soil and actually helps the uptake uh, of, the, of these nutrients by the plant. And, and I can give you an example. For example, um, siderophores are one of them that uh, the hyphae of mycorrhizal fungi produces and in fact this uh, enzyme increases the uh, uptake and the solubility of iron so this is very similar what you heard you know let's, let's say uh, with phosphorus that uh, mycorrhizae and mycorrhizal hyphae produces the enzyme phosphatases and uh, other enzymes that help uh, macronutrient uptake but they do help with uh, with micronutrients as well. You know, Joseph, this is something, uh, yeah. and I, you brought up enzymes, and I think this is one of the keys that when I talk to farmers about this, they say, ah, I, I get it that there's all these microbes out there, but how are they really helping? And I think you hit on one really key point there. When we look at plant root systems, a lot of times they're kicking out organic acids in the soil, trying to solubilize nutrients. Yeah. This is a whole different mechanism of nutrient uptake that a plant can't do on its own. Putting enzymes out there to solubilize things, that's fantastic. And if we know some of these beneficial microbes like you're talking about, uh, my my questions then come to what can we do to our soil to improve our mycorrhizal survival and how well they perform? I think about for farmers, if they're outside working and it's 20 degrees below zero, they're not very efficient. But if it's 70 degrees and they're inside and they've got good lighting, well, they can get lots done. So besides getting that soil pH in range, and I'm assuming having good levels of oxygen in the soil, so not having compaction and those kinds of things and having good drainage, are there some other things that farmers should really keep in mind for getting mycorrhizal survival? Yes, that's correct. Uh, basically, there are several, uh, you know, um, soil management practices that, that really helps uh, mycorrhizal fungi, not just mycorrhizal fungi, but other soil microbes to thrive um, in the soil. And and uh, certainly this is, uh, one of them would be to keep your pH, keep the soil pH, you know, in um, in a range around, uh, you know, 6 uh, or 6, 6.5. It really helps not just the plant, but also the, you know, the microbes uh, thrive as well. Also, you know, the use of uh, fumigants. This is um, obviously very important in um, you know, like leafy greens or, or strawberry production. But uh, if you really think about it, uh, when you use soil fumigants, they, they just kill all the microbes uh, in the soil. So try to avoid, you know, like soil fumigants. However, if you have to use it, then you have to replenish the, the microbial uh, community in the soil by applying uh, inoculants. Um, the other thing that... Um, 
that you could consider is not to over fertilize because that that in some areas could be a problem when you apply too much phosphorus or too much nitrogen. These are detrimental for um, for soil microbes and uh, other soil um, organisms. That's that's and, a great uh, point, Joseph. I, I think that balance of fertility is really key. And you know, one of the reasons we're talking about micros today is we get so much of a focus in agriculture on N, P, and K that getting a balance uh-huh. in place is good, not only for the plant, but for the soil microbes as well. Joseph, we'll have to catch up more on uh, mycorrhizal fungi down the road, but really appreciate having you on today. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you very much. Uh, let's head down to Texas. We've got Reed Abbott with us right now with AgriLiquid. And Reed, uh, Joseph just touched on something, balance of fertility. And I think one of the pieces we see a lot of guys missing is micronutrients. You bet. Yes, sir. Um, for sure, micronutrients are going to be just as important as a lot of your macronutrients. Uh, sure, they're not applied in uh, as great a quantities, but uh, that nevertheless doesn't mean that they're any less important. So. All right, so how do you do this? You work with a lot of different crops, and, and certainly uh, there's going to be uh, maybe different ways of getting things on. Is it a soil-applied at-planting thing for most crops, or are you seeing more guys opt for a foliar or an in-season treatment? Well, uh, you're right. I mean, there's there's a thousand different ways to do it depending on which crop you're looking at. But we at AgriLiquid like to to make sure that that soil is is right uh, the best we can. I mean, um, you know, there's certain limitations there depending on crop and and what's going on in your soil. But if we can get that soil right to get the season started, um, you know, and that that includes your micronutrient balance there, uh, right there at planting time or, or just ahead of planting or as soon as possible after planting, um, that that's going to be the biggest key for us. Um, that doesn't take away the the uh, need for some in season stuff as well. I mean, we've we've done a lot of good work uh, with applying foliars or even even micronutrients in like a side dress application or through fertigation. So, um, you know, we we like to take a look at both, but but certainly like to to hammer the importance of that early season to get that that crop started off right. We were talking about the importance of just having a complete soil test, so we at least had a picture of what's out there to begin with. What other tools do you look for to figure out exactly which micros would be a positive return on investment for your grower? Well, uh, I mean, obviously that's going to vary by by region and by crop. And, and when I say by crop, um, you know, there's certain micronutrients that certain crops favor, um, you know, we, we tend to talk about zinc a lot in corn, and, and everybody talks about zinc, uh, boron, those types of things for a, for a corn crop. But when you look at maybe wheat, um, we, we start maybe shifting away a little bit uh, from zinc and over towards, you know, iron and manganese uh, as, as wheat team tends to favor some of those micronutrients. So not only do we look at what what's in the soil, but we also look at uh, what the crop is needing, and then also just the nutrient interactions that are going on there. Um, you know, for example, with zinc, you know, if we have a super high phosphate level in the soil, then we need to make sure that we're addressing that zinc need because too much phosphate might be inhibiting that zinc uptake. So looking at the overall picture of that soil sample, 
uh, yeah, certainly you can look at the high, medium, and low levels you have in the soil, but also, uh, you know, bringing in some of those interactions yes, and making sure you're addressing that is, is important. I yes, love sir. it, Reed. That, good stuff here. Reed Abbott with AgriLiquid. Thanks for joining us today. I, I love that focus on balance of nutrition in the soil. We'll talk more about that coming up right after this. Stay tuned. Grain Tap Guard from Farm Shop MFG has helped farmers keep their bushels safe from spoilage and shrinkage loss in bins all across the country. And this low-cost solution just became even more affordable. Farm Shop MFG is offering a $100 factory rebate on all Grain Temp Guard bin monitoring systems. This offer is available for a limited time only, so take advantage of this program now to upgrade your bins and protect your crop investments. For more information, visit farmshopmfg.com. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. Featuring Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology to manage tough to control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. Before it's too late and white mold becomes a problem, you need to ask your seed dealer for heads-up seed treatment. When raising soybeans in the Midwest, you know the risk of being caught unprepared. As heard on AgPhD, there are several steps you can take prior to planting for a successful management plan against white mold. Compatible and cost-effective season-long protection starts now by asking your seed dealer to apply Heads Up to your 2020 bean seed order. For more information, visit headsupst.com. Your land is a legacy, a challenge from those who tended it before you to build on their foundations. At Corteva AgriScience, we understand what it means to be the stewards of a legacy. We embrace the challenge of building on the foundation of Dow AgroSciences to maintain your trust, to bring new solutions, to help you care for your land. See how we can help build your legacy at rangeandpasture.com. talking about micronutrient issues on your farm on today's program and also taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD or you can email us questions radio at agphd.com. Real happy to have Ben Ice with us right now. He works in Minnesota with Ice's Soil Restoration. Ben, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me on, Darren. So 
You know, you sure get, you sure get to look at a lot of soil tests over the years, and I know that that you're big on on looking at these micronutrient things too. Where where do you start with growers? Because many of them just haven't focused on micros in the past. Well, the biggest ones we start on is <clears throat> we look at zinc and boron first. Those are always the real key ones. Then we start looking at manganese, then we go down to copper and so on. So. With, uh, with the soil tests that you're running and you've got some levels that you like to see these micronutrients at, how aggressive do you find most growers going after fixing these? Are they looking at, wow, I need to put on a bunch of copper and it's going to cost me 15 bucks. I'm going to spend it all in one shot. Or do you see growers looking for uh, steps that they can take a little bit at a time building things back? Well, what we normally do is you initially pull a test. We look at it. We look at where guys are. Zinc is normally a big one. Bowen's a big one. They're all a work in progress. The biggest thing is getting it to the minimum. So, like, for example, like with boron, <clears throat> I'm always trying to get people to a 0.8 parts per million on our test. Now, if we're looking at zinc, my goal is to get them to 8 parts per million. Um, if it's manganese, I want them above a 40 parts per million. And if it's iron, I want them at 200 parts per million. All right, so let's talk about that just a little bit. So on the zinc, we, we see growers in a lot of cases putting out, uh, let's just talk corn, for example. Uh, you're in Minnesota. You see a lot of those guys putting out a quart of zinc with a planting. You get roughly two-tenths of a pound of zinc, and 200 bushel corn is going to remove about that much. They're just keeping up. And I ask a lot of those same growers in Minnesota, how much zinc are you putting on your soybeans? And most guys look at me like, what are you talking about? I put zinc on my corn. I'm good. The soybeans will find it out there. But but I'm finding a lot of guys going backwards. Are you seeing some of the same things? Well, we pretty much, I look at it this way. We go back to how long we've been in agriculture. And we look at, okay, how long have we been removing and not putting back? Well, back when we had cattle across the ground, you guys have talked about this before, we get all the micronutrients out of the cattle mineral and things like that and all the manure spreading, but that's slowly, slowly evaporated. And so over all these years, we've been shipping and removing minerals, not knowing that we are. A lot of farmers don't know that. And so it's getting them back into an education of we're removing minerals and we do need zinc, for example. And when it comes to corn, I mean, zinc, if you want to look at the width of the leave on the corn, you put zinc on that width is going to change on those those leaves. So, yeah, it is interesting the response that we see. I know uh, I picked up some new ground a few years back, and our farm manager we were I was riding in the planter with him, and and he forgot to turn the starter back on, and that's where we were delivering our micronutrients. And we're about halfway across on this pass, and he's like, "Oh man, I forgot to flip that switch to turn the starter on." And I said, "Why don't you just leave it off this pass and let's let's see what happens?" Man, it was a train wreck. <laughs> that corn looked terrible when we didn't have the micros out, and and you mentioned just the the width of the leaf with corn, but there's so many functions that those micros are performing in the plant. I, I, I hear a lot of the top yield growers doing uh, much like what you're talking about, Ben, of just looking at, okay, what's the problem with my plant? And then I look at what micronutrients are involved, and oftentimes we're finding them short. Well, and the biggest one, I mean, we haven't had the last couple of years, but when we look at zinc, we look at moisture management. I mean, the biggest one's potash. So like number two for moisture management, once you know you get air in your soil and this other stuff and tile and things, um, zinc is huge. I mean, zinc controls the stomata opening and closing. And so zinc becomes a very big deal. So, 
Yeah, the micros are are key. Uh, one other one other thing I want to ask you about here. I know we're talking micros, but I want to throw a, sul- a sulfur question at you too. Uh, what are you doing with your growers that you're you're um, making fertility recs for with sulfur? Are you finding your sulfur numbers are, are needing to go up from from where guys have been in the past? Well, most people don't realize sulfur moves through the soil. You guys have talked about that a lot, and other people do too. Um, sulfur leaves as long as we don't have a hard pan, it's leaving. And so we're not getting up the air still clean these days, in my opinion. But um, You I'm sound like Brian, Ben. Line. Brian complains about that a lot, that he has to pay for his sulfur now because the air's too clean. I like clean air. I know, I know. But the thing is, for growers, I mean, here's the problem. is like most people don't realize with sulfur how much they need. I mean, like... You look at you look at a 200 bushel corn crop, and you've heard Neil how many times, and being mentored by Neil, um, when we were on ammonium sulfate, at, you know, 250 to 500 pounds all day long on corn, but it also becomes a budget limiting factor. Um, my biggest thing is I want to see, like on our test, I want 40, 50 parts per million. I have gentlemen that are running in the 60s and 80s, but we're typically working on growing crops along with <clears throat> working on whatever excess potassium or excess calcium or magnesium we're trying to manage at the same time. So, Yeah, lots of things to, to keep an eye on out there, no doubt about it. Uh, I've been talking with Ben Ice with Ice's Soil Restoration in Minnesota. Ben, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. I know you got a busy spring coming up, so good luck and stay safe. All right, thanks for the time on the show. Take care. Real happy to have Kyle along with us right now. He works with Kinsey Ag. Uh, Kyle, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you here. Hi, good to, good to be on here. All right, I know you work with some of the tougher soils, and I, I say tougher, I mean low CEC light soils, and I think about nutrients like boron, that's got to be a real challenge for growers trying to uh, to keep boron levels up when they've got really light soil. Yeah, it is because it's a very leachable element, so it's uh, one of those things where if your uh, calcium and magnesium aren't in the correct ranges, then you'll start seeing it just move farther faster and faster through the soil. So it really comes to a matter of a balancing act between the calcium and magnesium to really keep it there and try and hold it for the plant. But, you know, you already have to spoon feed the boron no matter what pretty well every year. So it's just a matter of, you know, finding that range that keeps it there long enough for the plant to be able to uptake it. You know, it's interesting. And, and uh, of course, talking with Neil Kinsey, same thing uh, that that you're saying here. Getting that calcium and magnesium in balance really helps. What do you shoot for? What what would you like for a magnesium level or a calcium to magnesium level when you're dealing with a CEC soil of five or less? Well, see, that's where it gets kind of uh, tricky to explain all within uh, a couple minutes. But typically, what we shoot for is our uh, at around a five TEC. We're shooting for about sixty twenty, and then we want to keep our main goal is to keep our magnesium at 250 pounds of magnesium in the soil for as long as we can until that magnesium starts driving us above 20%. Then we have to start backing down that desired value down to 200 because 200 is our bare minimum. We always want our magnesium to be at least 200 in the soil, and the lower your TEC, the higher we'll have to drive that uh, magnesium up to try and counteract that. We get a lot of questions for some of these yield champs like 
like David Hewlett, for example, who's got some really light soils, and it's a it's a tricky balance. He talks about that too. It's a a tricky balance keeping enough pounds per acre out there to grow the crop when your soil just doesn't have a huge amount of holding capacity. In in soils like that, with with the micronutrients that you're working with. How how often are guys applying? Are they applying with the pivot as they're going through these fields? Are they applying several different times during the year, even in a dry land situation? I I just work kind of behind the scenes, so I can't tell you what they're actually applying and how they're actually applying it. It's uh, that's more for the consultants in their area and kind of depending on their farm and uh, fields and what their operation calls for. So, uh, but as you get your balance and range your all of your uh, primary and secondary elements because we want to deal with those first before we actually start working with the micros unless you're severely deficient because it will uh, those micros will help with nitrogen fixation and uh, things like that so but for like boron and things if you're actually in a decent range where you won't cause anything to be toxic then you can apply that a couple of times during the season or you know, our copper, we apply just dry. We do a lot of dry applications, so. Yeah, you know, Neil talks about that too, getting, getting uh, well, like copper, for example, is, I know for our farm, one that, uh, we just needed to get levels up to that critical minimum level uh, that Ben was talking about a little earlier, too, and then we're in a good spot for quite a while. Uh, Kyle Long with Kinsey Egg, really appreciate having you on, Kyle. Thank you so much. We'll have to have you back again sometime. We'll be right back. We're talking more about micronutrient issues for your farm. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. High-yield corn growers know that feeding the crop and soil are keys to maximizing yield potential. Nutex EDA and Reverb are specifically formulated to help manage limiting factors associated with today's farming conditions. Nutex EDA works within the plant to support nutrient mobility and utilization. Reverb focuses on the soil, providing beneficial trace elements which help condition the root zone for optimal microbial activity. Low use rates and superb tank mix compatibility make Nutex EDA and Reverb no-brainers in the high-yield grower toolbox. Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy, all the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. 
How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Gooseneck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. How much yield did you lose the moment you planted your seed? Introducing the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Designed and built by a farmer tired of seeing yield loss from poor stands, the Germinator gives your crop the strong start it needs for maximum yield. Visit farmshopmfg.com. Avoid dry run failures with the new Hypro Force Field Pump. Providing the ultimate protection, this wet seal pump will save you on costly in-season downtime to keep your sprayer running. Now all you have to worry about is the weather. Hypro, helping you spray better. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We are live in the Morton studio today. Love to take your phone call if there's anything you'd like to talk about. 844-44-AG-PHD or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a little bit. Before we do, just kind of wrapping things up on the micronutrient issues, I wanted to talk just a little about application. We very often say, okay, micronutrients are important. We start talking about levels and everything else. But we don't spend a lot of time on how do you put this stuff out there. So let's talk about the, the five biggest ones, zinc, manganese, iron, copper, boron, and how we've been applying them on our farm and what we would encourage you to consider. So first of all, with zinc, zinc is dirt cheap. I mean, it is really inexpensive. You can get zinc sulfate for like 75 cents a pound, and that's one-third zinc. You'll see that show up on your test, just your soil test, just about pound for pound. You can very quickly and easily and inexpensively change your soil levels. So I would just say if you go, whoa, I need to get three more parts per million, let's just say in my soil test, to get my, my numbers in ratio or in balance, yeah, that's not going to cost you very much money. Just do it. So anytime you start figuring, all right, well, what do I really need for actual pounds of stuff out there? Let's just talk about that real quick because I don't care what nutrient it is. This is basically the same formula. If you look at a six-inch soil test, which most, most people are taking, and you say, I've got, I want to increase my level by three parts per million, just as my example from earlier. To convert that to pounds per acre, multiply times two. It's that simple. So if I'm going to go from three parts per million to pounds per acre, I just multiply times two, that's six pounds. That's what I need. So if I was going to have six actual pounds of zinc and figuring that zinc sulfate is roughly one-third zinc, then that means I just take my six divided by one-third, and what that's going to give me is 18 pounds. So 18 pounds of zinc sulfate, if it costs 75 cents a pound, roughly you're talking, if I'm doing the math in my head right, 14.50 an acre. So 14.50 an acre is going to get your zinc level up to where you would want it to be. Now, just understand, you're going to go, whoa, that's a big percentage of my budget. That's not for just this year. That's for several years. So we're trying to get levels with a lot of these micros up so there's enough there to actually get into the plant. Once you're there at that level, at that soil level, now you can just do a maintenance thing. So you can look at, hey, my actual crop removal is only whatever, let's call it, a quarter of a pound, depending on what your crop is. All right, well, that's no big deal. Okay, so we do encourage you to take a look at broadcasting some of these micronutrients and fixing soil issues. 
But you could also go out there and do some banding. We commonly have people who will put some zinc sulfate at a much lower rate, obviously, than 18 pounds in a band, a lot of times with strip till. We also have a lot of people that will throw a little bit of liquid in with pop-up. We talked about this a little bit yesterday. Our number one concern is you can get ammoniated zinc that's pretty cheap, but ammoniated zinc in our early research is showing really harsh effects on microbials. I'm not saying it's going to kill all the microbes in your soil, but I am saying it can have a very negative impact on any microbials you may be adding in your pop-up fertilizer. So if you say, hey, there's some beneficial microbe that I want to throw in, and you go, oh boy, this isn't working so well, well, maybe your zinc killed it. So ammoniated zinc is the worst for that in our research. We would tell you switch over to a chelated zinc or some other form, or put your zinc on another way if you want to put microbes in that way. You can also do some foliar feeding if you want to. There are very commonly blends that get used for uh, in in furrow two by two foliar you could even go straight zinc foliar but a lot of times with zinc since it doesn't move in soil we talk about putting zinc in the soil okay so i know i spent a lot of time just on zinc but there was a lot of kind of back well just general information for everything when we get to manganese manganese sulfate is is 65 cents a pound roughly right now. All depends on where you're at. I mean, obviously for you, it might be much cheaper, might be much more expensive, but I'm just talking about from my farm. And manganese sulfate's roughly 31% manganese. And also don't forget with some of these things, I mentioned zinc sulfate, I'm talking manganese sulfate now, but there are, there are sulfur products with just about all these things. So there is copper sulfate, for example, ferrous sulfate. So you can get all the different micronutrients together with sulfur. So don't just think, oh, I'm just getting zinc or I'm just getting manganese. You're also getting some sulfur out there too, which is absolutely worth something. In terms of manganese, you know, here we have done a bunch of broadcast manganese too. Manganese doesn't leave the soil super quickly or anything else. We've also put a lot of manganese both in furrow and in two by two with good response that way, some in the strip. So lots of ways you can get manganese out there. We have had some success foliar feeding manganese as well, but manganese is really important early in the season. So get it out there early if you're going to do anything. With iron, I tell you that's even more true, especially when we look at iron deficiency chlorosis. You've got to get that out very early, preferably at planting time. You can green the plant up later by foliar feeding iron, but a lot of times with IDC, you've already lost your yield. So we would tell you use something like soy green right at planting time. That's probably the best. Otherwise, yeah, if you've got a major nutrient deficiency in your entire soil, you can certainly go out and broadcast or do some banding of iron. You can do some foliar feeding. You just want to make sure you're early enough. With copper, copper sulfate is a challenging product to work with. So like last fall, for example, we sprayed a whole bunch of copper sulfate. Everything that was going to be soybeans, we put copper out there. Copper if you have good levels, it's considered the disease or very often called the disease micronutrient. The thing with copper sulfate is because we have issues in the tank, we don't really love it mixed with a lot of other things. You can do it, but you got to be careful. So what we did last fall, we went out with our sprayer and sprayed only water and copper sulfate. And I think we put on about eight pounds to the acre on some of our ground that was low, on a, a lot of our ground that was low. Um, there are other ways, certainly you can put copper on, you can band it, you can do some foliar feeding. There are a lot of people that will use it foliar, not just as a micronutrient, but as a 
fungicide or bactericide, it does have a little bit of activity that way if you spray it directly over the top of your crop. Obviously, you got to keep the rate pretty low then. All right, and then we get to boron. Boron's challenging because it's the most leachable of these five micronutrients. And I, I mean, it's not as leachable as nitrate, I will tell you that. We have found in our dry, heavy, cold soils, it doesn't leach very quickly at all. But if you have a light, warm, wet soil where you get lots of rain, lots of irrigation, yeah, boron's going to leach through. You're probably going to have to apply multiple times per year if you want big time yields. So we've done a lot of dry boron, like 15% dry boron isn't that expensive. It's about 60 cents a pound. We've done a lot of that and it's worked out fairly well. You certainly can go liquid. It's just liquid is more expensive if you're going to do a whole bunch. So I will tell you with all these micronutrients, we end up a lot of times on our farm, if we've got major soil deficiencies, we will broadcast and we'll do dry. But then we will also all the time use some amount of liquid. So we really like having a little bit of liquid either in furrow or two by two. We also do a little bit of liquid foliar feeding of micronutrients each and every year. So we, we think it's important to have a uh, kind of a blended program where you're doing some of each of these different things. Also with boron, I wanted to throw out here, there is soluble. It's a dry, but it's, as the name would suggest, soluble. So you can mix that in water. We used to recommend a lot of that back, I go back 20, 25 years ago, when people were spraying a lot of cobra, for example. Well, they found if they put a little soluble with it, they were seeing a lot less burn. So you think about that in the plant. Why was that happening? Well, is it just is cobra that harsh, or is it just the fact that our plants are starved for boron, so they didn't have the proper nutrient levels inside the plant to help the plant recover from any herbicide burn or potential burn. I quite frankly think it's the latter. It's the same thing we talk about in human health all the time. Take your vitamins. If you have a good balanced diet, I mean, this is exactly what your doctor is going to tell you. If you have a good balanced diet, you are much more tolerant to diseases. That's just, that's the way it is. And it's the same thing with your, with your crops. If you have a good balance of these different nutrients, they're all important. Yes, I realize they're called micronutrients, but the word micro is just there because they're needed in small amounts. These are all important nutrients for disease tolerance, for yield, for test weight, for grain quality. Again, I just encourage you, make sure you're looking at your soil tests. Do some tissue tests as well. And correlate these things to yield at the end of each season with the different trials that you're running. We're certainly doing that. And we're finding in a lot of cases we just need some more micronutrients and we can have some higher yields. Well, we're going to get to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag coming up next. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. All the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. 
Learn more at caseih.com slash farm your way. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima Fungicide, Swift Activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. <sighs> Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice, with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima Fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima Fungicide is not registered in all states. Hey, Bill, any advice to control tough weeds and rootworms? That's easy, Jim. Buy two, save three. Wait, for weeds and rootworms? Buy two, save three. Combine your Impact or new Impact Z herbicide purchase with a qualifying insecticide and save $3 per acre. Buy two, save three. That is good advice. For details, go to buy2save3.com. Impact, Impact Z, and Buy Two Save Three are trademarks owned by Amvac Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic fungicides from Atticus LLC. Fungal diseases can be devastating, but Acadia, Slant, and Talaris 4.5F from Atticus deliver lasting, broad-spectrum fungi control so your soybeans, sugar beets, and dry beans can thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. Hey everybody, come on in. The Ag PhD Mailbag is about to begin. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio and it is time for the Ag PhD Mailbag. That means we're taking your calls and questions throughout the rest of the show. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD or you can email us radio at agphd.com. Got an email from Jed in Northwest Kansas. He said, wondering what your thoughts are on molybdenum. I've taken some soil tests on my farm and some of the tests are coming up zero. That's a little alarming to me. Do you think I should be adding molybdenum into some of my crop fertility recommendations? Well, I will just say this. There is not a tremendous amount of great research, in our opinion, on molybdenum and what the actual soil level should be. At this point, we believe we'd like to see more than one part per million out there. So we've done some tests on our farm. Now, if if you listen to us on the show pretty often, you will hear me talk about using some wild rates on different nutrients, not on a big scale or anything, but on at least enough acres so we can get a good test. We farm about 3,000 acres, so I, I don't mind doing some stuff on, call it 50 acres. I mean, I sure hope I don't kill 50 acres at some point, but maybe I maybe I will someday. Anyway, so we were gonna do we did a bunch of soil testing on molybdenum. This is a couple of years ago, and we found that our soil test levels in some cases were non-detectable. In other words, there was none out there. I mean, maybe there was, but just not enough to find it. And we thought, you know, let's put a whole pound out there at least on a few acres, see what happens. 
So I looked at the EPA's level that you can actually apply in one year because molybdenum is a heavy metal and they have guidelines for all the different heavy metals. How much can you apply in one year and how much can you have in your soil in total? So I looked at the level and I, I believe, if I remember right off the top of my head, I could look it up here again, but I think it's 0.8 pounds. That's the most you can put on a soil legally, according to the EPA, in the United States. <laughs> so I was prepared to exceed the, the legal limit for the EPA because I just thought, well, if I'm if I need one part per million, well, that's two pounds per acre. So I better put at least a pound out there to start with. Nope, can't even do that. So I, I mean, is molybdenum important? Yes, we know it is. We also know molybdenum is much more deficient in lower pH soils. As the pH rises, it's one of the few nutrients that actually becomes more and more available as that pH continues to go up. So people that have a 7 to an 8 pH, for example, they don't usually have as many issues with molybdenum, but that does not mean you shouldn't put some out there. So we would encourage you, if you want to try some, just try some on a small scale. Use a, an appropriate rate. I think Neil Kinsey, what's he talk about, Darren? Seven ounces of sodium molybdate, if I remember right. Yes. Three years in a row, just to see if you are getting response. If you're getting yield response, great, keep doing it. Or, I mean, do that on the rest of your ground is what I'm trying to say. If you're not getting yield response, well, then it was a cheap test. All right. Thanks for the question, Jed. Uh, I got one from Arthur in North Dakota, and Arthur's a little nervous. He said, my planting season is hopefully going to begin in about four weeks on my farm. So far, COVID-19 is not in my part of North Dakota, and there are only roughly 30 cases or so in our state. Are there any things that you're recommending for farmers to do to make sure they don't have a hiccup during planting? Yeah, the biggest thing, we talked about it earlier in the show today, is just get your product early. Get every, all your equipment serviced. Get everything fully ready to go and try to be in a position where I don't need to go see anyone for at least a couple of weeks and preferably a month. As long as you do that, so you're staying ahead of things, then hopefully you're going to be in pretty good shape. Because I, I, I think this is one of the things that certainly the president has been focused on the last couple of days. You know, the economy is there too. Now, certainly health is number one, but the economy is there as well. And we don't want to see a whole bunch of people go bankrupt. Well, we're trying to, at the same time, get everybody protected from the safety factor. So it, it it's, it's a real balancing act. But yeah, I mean, as a farmer, if you're in an area that doesn't have much or any of this, that's great. And just stay away as much as you can well, from people and, yeah, and get everything on hand you need and you're in good shape. And that means your suppliers as well. Talk to them on the phone. Call them up. If you get to chat a little more about product, talk to them on, on the phone rather than sitting in the office as much. And that takes away a lot of risk for you and for them, too, to be honest with you. And if you give them a call, line up, hey, I'm picking up my stuff today. Uh, I'm going to show up about this time. Just have it ready for me. Makes makes a lot of sense. And, and yeah, hopefully in a few months here we, we get back a little closer to normal. But we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, thanks for the, the message, Arthur. Really appreciate that. Uh, I got one from Peter in Wisconsin. He said, I've got soils with a 15 to 20 CEC, and I'm shooting for 200 bushel corn. I'm wondering what levels of N, P, and K you think I need to have in my moderate to heavy soils that to get 200 bushel corn consistently. And then if I understand you correctly, I should build those first, then focus on sulfur and micros. But I'm wondering, do you recommend just using crop removal rates for sulfur and micros along the way as I build my N, P, and K? 
Probably. I, I, I mean, I would probably still be doing something with all the rest of those things. I just wouldn't spend an inordinate amount of my dollars on micronutrients as I still need to build my P and K in soil. So the whole thing is nitrogen is a totally separate conversation from phosphorus and potassium, in my opinion, because nitrogen, you've got to add that only for certain crops and only to the level that you think you're going to get for yield in each area, in each field. With phosphorus and potassium, yeah, there we are typically looking at certain levels. So generally for for 200 bushel corn, we're going to talk about at least 4% base saturation potassium and making sure we have more than enough in terms of parts per million to raise a good crop. Roughly off the top of my head, and I didn't look this up, but 200 bushel corn is going to take about, if I remember right, 250 pounds of K2O potassium approximately. So you got to make sure you've got at least double that, I would say, out in that soil. Otherwise, your plant can't recover all that. In terms of phosphorus, I'd really like to see 50 parts per million on a P1 phosphorus test if it was me. So those are the levels I would I would say you probably need. Now, do you have to get to 4% K? Do you have to get to 50 parts per million phosphorus? No, but it's going to be a lot easier if you're there to get the kind of yield that you're talking about. All right, thanks for the question, Peter. Uh, I got one from Bart in Ohio. He said, last year I had a problem. I did get some corn in where a lot of guys had prevent plant, but my corn ears did not fill to the tip, and I've heard several different things this winter. I've heard some guys talk about a possible nutrient shortage being involved. My seed dealer says that it's just the hybrid, that some hybrids just tip back more than others, and my neighbor says I planted too heavy a population. What's the real scoop? Well, it it really could be anything. And and this kind of goes back to when we're trying to diagnose a problem six or eight or 10 months later, you know, yep, there are certain things that we'd absolutely want to look at. I mean, if you want to send us your soil test, we can can absolutely take a look at that. But I, I will tell you first, when ears are tipped back, yeah, boron absolutely can be one of the things. But there certainly could be other nutrients involved as well. Let's put it this way. The world record corn is now 616 bushels per acre. That's the world record for corn yield, 616. Think about that, 616. Okay, so what was the difference? The genetics, I mean, those are common genetics. So what I'm saying is the potential, the yield potential in what you're putting in the ground is usually quite good. So that's why we usually talk drainage or, you know, if you have super light soil, irrigation. Then we talk fertility, and fertility is absolutely huge. So, you know, people can tell me all day long about variety selection, and yes, I'm not saying that's unimportant, but what I am saying is if you have your drainage or irrigation and you have your fertility right, then you can raise so much more yield with the genetics that are out there. The variety isn't the biggest factor. In terms of planting population, I, I would tell you that really ties back to the whole fertility thing. So if you don't have ample fertility for the population you're trying to raise, you're more likely to have tip back, yes. You're also, or I should say, that's really the other way around. If you have too much tip back, maybe you've planted it a little too thick. But we also, a lot of times, will see lodging issues, green snap issues, I mean, all grain quality problems, all kinds of troubles if you don't have that fertility built to 
what to a corresponding population that you're going to get to. So anyway, yeah, it really could be a lot of things, but absolutely, I would say fertility is probably the first thing I'm thinking. I, I think so too. And I, there, one of them, and I don't remember which one it was here, um, seed dealer said that it had to do with the hybrid. And I'm like, what are you doing, seed dealer? So often people blame everything on, oh, it's just the hybrid. Well, oftentimes I agree with you, Brian. I think it's probably a fertility issue here, but the only way to, to know is to do a little bit of testing out there in that area to find out what you're actually short in. Hey, thanks for the question. Really appreciate that, Bart. Thanks to you for listening today. Really appreciate that. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.